Hi, this is Bill. And this is Anastas. And we are the Uncommon Wealth Podcast. As always, keep an, keep an eye out for our naughty words. NSFW. NSFW, yes. We it say stands n- for Not Safe for Weaklings. Weebos. Did they make up a word? That thing? <laughs> I feel like I've heard Weebos before. Weebs like is a thing. Weebs. It's like the Japanese culture people, right? Yeah. yeah. Not yeah, for big, them. Big time anime fans. Not for them. This is for historical uh, fetishists. Gettysburg fetish, Civil War fetishists. Huh. Well, this is it. Um, but, uh, yeah, blast, blasting into your ears with that one. Yeah, man. Blasting into your ears. Ear blast. Uh, we're doing the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, yes. July second. Yes. Uh, so we're still uh, kind of topically relevant to the time. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, a week out it's by the time out. this comes out. But but you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, it's it's always relevant to, especially to the fetishists. Yeah. Because the Union w- was strong, like the U.S. Women's National Team will be strong. Strong like bull. Uh, <laughs> Str- strong like cow. Strong like the horses that led the cavalry charges and all the death and destruction. Um, I, there isn't that much, like, in terms of violence. I mean, we are going to describe someone getting their yeah. leg hurt. Yeah. But, uh, but we're not getting into the nitty, nitty-gritty details of, like, when cannonballs would roll across the battlefield and remove someone's legs. When yeah. they would take them to the barns around Gettysburg, the wounded soldiers, and they would pile Just the arms up. up. Chopping them up. So high that they were reaching the windows of the houses by next door. So high they could reach up with that glass say, of, for the glass on the, on the have some the- Have some rum, bite this leather. We're going in with the saw. With the doctors that were covered in so much blood that their shirts were irreparably stained. This is more like, like 2012's Lincoln versus 1993's Gettysburg. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Relevant because I was looking to watch those last night, but couldn't do it. So, um, do we? Uh, we described our experiences with Gettysburg yeah. last week, but do you have anything that you remembered in the meantime? No. Um, I don't really either. I think we um, talked about Jen it. Jen passed me again to take me to take her there because she just hasn't been. It's amazing. Um, you should do it. I guess the the big difference. I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but when you go to like some other battlefields, there's a lot more monuments. At Gettysburg, uh, yeah, battlefields. That it's I like the do. most monumented battlefield, I think. Yeah, that's a big, definitely in the country and maybe like the world. Yeah, that's a, that's the big thing that I I thought of yesterday that I don't know if we mentioned before. Yeah. But shall we dive into it? Yeah, let's yeah. do it. So we're gonna do um, like th- kind of three sections: the the pre movement stuff yeah. before action, before any action. Um, you know, just like the, the the drawing of the map, right? Yeah. Uh, just getting getting that settled up. Kind of like we did the last time. Yeah. And then we're gonna do um, we're gonna split kind of the a- attacks on both the, flanks, the flanks, you know, left yep. and right flank, because that's uh, really how kind of the battle went on two yeah. fronts, quote unquote. You know, on right? this day, yeah. on this day, right? I'll start off. Uh, so throughout the evening of July first and the morning of July second, eighteen sixty three, most of the remaining infantry of both armies had arrived on the field. Right. So right. they had lined up and were ready to go. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it's. Uh, could you imagine just marching and getting there the morning of and they're like, all right, time to go. Like, let's get out of here after it. 20, you know, 20 some miles, wherever you do. But, yeah. Uh, so two of Longstreet's brigades and Longstreet was a Confederate right. general. Um, James Longstreet. J- James, is that, is that James Longstreet, right? Yeah. Yeah. I always forget the first names. That's so okay. trouble. Everybody always calls them by their like last McClellan, names. McClellan, I never forget McClellan. George. George McClellan. Right. George B. McClellan. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. 
<laughs> so uh, two of Longstreet's brigades, they were uh, they were on the road uh, traveling, and um, Brigadier General George Pickett, uh, you know, uh, his brigade, they had a 22-mile march from Chambersburg. Yep. And uh, Brigadier General um, E.M. Law, he uh, he had a, he had a march from um, from Gulfford. I think it's Gilford. 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 Yeah, G.U.I.L. Ford. And uh, email us if we're wrong. Yeah, please do. Or don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> we we read them, but we might not acknowledge them. <laughs> we might just flip you the bird. <laughs> Mentally. Uh, so both of them arrived late in the morning, and Laws his was uh, his was twenty eight miles. It was, uh, but they he did it in eleven hours, which pretty fucking is, fast is, is a pretty good clip there. That's a that's a quick march. It's a quick march. Uh, What's it like? That's math. It's a little under three. Yeah, three an hour. So, so the Union line ran from Culps Hill, southeast of the town, northwest to Cemetery Hill, just south of town, then south for nearly two miles along Cemetery Ridge. And it terminated just north of Little Round Top. And this was mostly, or excuse me, most of the 12th Corps was on Culp's Hill. Right, right. The sh- the, this the, is the yeah. fishhook formation. Yeah, exactly. The basic shape was at the fishhook, where it, it, um, on the on the western side, it's it's a little longer, and then yep. it, it curls up, and it's a little shorter on the right side. Uh, brief visual. Uh, the remnants of the 1st and the 11th Corps, they defended Cemetery Hill. And the 2nd Corps covered most of the northern half of Cemetery Ridge. The third corps was also ordered to take up a position to to uh, to the second corps' flank. Right. And um, attacks um, attacks were on the Union's left flank. Right. Correct. Not. Yeah. <laughs> correct. Not correct. Not correct. The right. Yeah. Not the right. left flank. <laughs> I always do it when driving. It just yeah. drives. Jan always doesn't drive me nuts. But. <laughs> so the Confederate line actually paralleled the Union line about a mile to the west on Seminary Ridge. Sixteen hundred meters to you non-American listeners. Yeah, Damn yeah Canadians. we do have several. You, you people from Ontario, thank you for listening. Or the literally anywhere else in the world. Yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, that, so uh, brief aside. This morning, uh, my my uncle came up and helped me uh, take down a, a TV and, and mm-hmm. put up a mirror for our baby room. And uh, he he had a he had a tape measure that had you know both both metrics. But uh, we also had a leveler that only had uh, the the American American style inches and, and yeah. whatnot, and because he was he was doing everything off of off of the the metric, right? And he was like, "Well, shit, all right, let me do." It. He had to take his calculator out and do the, do the conversion. So <laughs> we suck, dude. We're, it's so difficult. It's so much harder. What imperial is that? What it's called? I think so. Yeah, it's stupid. Even no. the fucking British don't use it anymore. I know. They invented it. <laughs> we're just like we're gonna stick with it. Blah blah blah. But we are stubborn. The Confederate line ran east through the town and then curved southeast to a point opposite Culp's Hill. Mm-hmm. I keep gesturing with my arms as if people can see me. <laughs> it helps us visualize it, though, here while we're... Thus, the Union Army had dense interior lines, while the Confederate line was nearly five miles long. Right. Yeah, uh, much much more land covered by the Confederates. Right. But thinner. Yeah. yeah. A lot thinner. And especially as, if you recall from our first episode... Uh, their army was about thirty thousand less. Right, exactly. And um, I don't know if we—I don't think we mentioned this already, but uh, we mentioned last episode they mm-hmm. the Union had the high ground. Right. And this very—they've so got these densely populated, densely populated uh, battle lines and entrenchments on these hills. Right. Yeah. Which is advantageous. Yeah. And it's a bitch to climb up and attack. Yep. Uh, so Lee's battle plan for the second, for the second day, July second, as well, uh, it called for a general assault of Meade's uh, all his positions, and I'll you know 
go through them. Here. Right. So on the right, Longstreet's first corps was to position itself to attack the Union's left flank, and it was uh, facing. It was supposed to be facing northeast, kind of kind of side the Emmitsburg Road, mm-hmm. and it was meant to roll up the Union line. Just right. Moving up. Just push them back. Exactly. And the the sequence was supposed to start with Major Generals John Bell Hood's and Lafayette McClaw's divisions, followed by uh, Major General Richard uh, H. Anderson's division of uh, Hill's Third Corps. So it was supposed to be uh, a sequence. It was a staggered. Exactly. So it wasn't supposed to be all at once there. Yeah, staggered assault. Um, on the left, Lee instructed Ewell, Ewell to position his second corps to attack Culp's Hill and Cemetery Hill when he heard the gunfire from Longstreet's assault. So again, part of the sequencing. Right. This was to prevent Meade from shifting troops to bolster his left. Uh, though it does not appear in either his or Lee's official report, Ewell claimed years, years later that Lee had changed the orders to simultaneously attack. Lee called for only the diversion to be turned to, into a full-scale attack if a pr- favorable opportunity presented itself. Right, so go back, going back to Lee's kind of... That, like... Loosey, loosey-goosey... Right, use your best man. judgment. Yeah, which, that's a way better way of putting it. <laughs> um, which Ewell was not used to. Right. So Lee's plan uh, was based on not the best intelligence, and actually the lack of Stewart's. We mentioned yeah. earlier Stewart's uh, cavalry. We're just all fucking around, just causing havoc. Could have really used his uh, his yep. mobility to have better scouting and better intelligence. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Lee personally um, recon. How do you recontoured? Reconnoitered. Reconnoitered. Thank you. His left during the morning. But he didn't visit Longstreet position on the Confederates' right, and that's where a lot of the trouble happened Yeah, for the Confederates. Um, even so, Lee rejected suggestions that Longstreet move beyond Meade's left and, um, and attacking the Union's flank. And uh, it, it, basically, the, the suggestion was that they, uh, they would capture supply trains and, and block Meade's escape route, kind of, so co- kind of cornering them. Much better plan. And they didn't do that. You know, that was the plan that Longstreet's plan just... I didn't happen. Have made the argument that this is Lee's arrogance. He had been so used to winning and winning his way mm-hmm. that he didn't want to listen to strategy from anyone else or tactics from anyone else at this point. And he right. said, "This is the plan. I'm the general. Let's do it." Right? Because especially when you have less people and they have a better defensive position, right. you might as well circle them around and, and uh, cut off their yeah. You know, then then it kind of turns into a mini siege, I guess. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, kind of entrenched positions. Yeah, so. But he Lee didn't issue orders for the attack until 11 a.m. on the 2nd. And around noon, General Anderson's advancing troops were discovered by General Dan Sickles' outpost guard. Uh, the 3rd Corps, upon which Longstreet's 1st Corps was to for- form, did not get into position until 1 p.m. Hmm. So they've been found out. Yeah. Like, Sickles' men found them out. And they're like, oh shit, here they come. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, to Hood and Claus, they, uh, after they, after their long march, they weren't in position either. Right. And they, they didn't launch their attacks until four, uh, four, uh, Hood didn't launch his until 4 p.m. And, uh, McLaw didn't, McLaw didn't, uh, McLaws didn't, didn't start his until 5 p.m. So. It's pretty late. Yeah. Yeah. Much, That's much later than, later than, than they wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't, isn't ideal. So moving into kind of the second section of this. Yeah, the actual attacks. Yeah, the actual attacks. And we're going to talk about the left flank first, which is probably the more famous of the two flanks right, as it, far as battle. Right, it has a little round top and... and uh, right, and the swinging gate, yeah. and which we'll get to. Right. Devil's Den's over that way too, which is really famous. 
So as Longstreet's left division under Major General Lafayette McClaw's advance, they unexpectedly found Major General Daniel Sickles' third corps directly in front of them. Sorry, it's just funny, like, fuck, you're not supposed to be here. (laughs) But that's exactly what it, and that shit happens all the time, but it's just like, holy shit. (laughs) You know, this is why it happened, is because Sickles was mad that his placement, because he was on the southern end of Cemetery Ridge, so he disobeyed orders and advanced his corps to the slightly higher ground along the Emmitsburg Road, away from Cemetery Ridge. Right. He moved because it was better suited for artillery positions. You gotta be higher. Makes sense. But it also kind of fucked people later. The position was a half mile, 800 meters to the west, uh, centered at the Sherfy Farms Peach Orchard. Right. The Peach Orchard is one of those famous locations, like when you've got the wheat field and go moving in the Devil's Den. Right. Because Sickles' men get... They get fucked. Yeah, and they we'll, get routed because we'll, he, he did a salient like we talked about in the first episode. Kind of like the Battle of the Bulge where he's out ahead of everybody else. Right. <laughs> There's yeah. no support. So yeah. you go. Sorry. Yeah, sure. And I, and I, I was going to say, um, we'll get to it later, but he, he himself doesn't come out very well in this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the new line, the, I, I guess by necessity, it ran from Devil's Den northwest to the Peach Orchard and then northeast along the Emmitsburg Road that we just mentioned. Um, to just south of the, of the Kodori farm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and it created um, an untenable salient, as you mentioned, at the Peach Orchard. So that's that's the the new, the new the new uh, line the, the new line there. Uh, Brigadier General Andrew A. Humphreys' division, um, which was in position along Emmitsburg Road, and Major General David B. Burney's. Did I say that right? I Birney, which, I was Birney, Birney. Yeah, Burney's division. Uh, to the south, they were subject to attacks from two sides, bec- and uh, they were spread out over a much longer front than their than their relatively small corps could defend effectively. So it was a thin line that was stretched out even thinner because it had to it had to accommodate right. the the new positions. The new right. Um, there's something I wanted to say. There. Oh, oh, about Devil's Den. Yeah, that was nobody knows where the name came from. I don't think. No, actually, I thought about that. Why? Why is that? Um, know? I think he already had that name. And it was like you a, that before the battle, yeah, or yeah, before the battle. I, I think so. I do not take my word on this one. I'm just it's I'm remem- trying to remember, but it's these collection. I mean, you've been there, but for our listeners who haven't, it's these collection of big rocks and boulders, and they're all kind of positioned cattywampus. It used to be a picnic spot for people of the town before the battle. <laughs> Are you looking yeah. it up? Yeah, I'm looking up just just to uh, to see if there's specific. Um, like, like for a the name, name itself, yeah. Because yeah. the the you know the, a lot of the information you, when you look it up it's really centers on the actual battle itself, right? Not the actual town and its environs. Ooh, environs. Ooh, good word. I um, have an English degree. <laughs> it um, yeah, you know it it it, it used to be, uh, they used to think it was home to a snake pit. So oh, it was named before, yeah, it was named because it was that makes assumed sense. Assumed it would have it would. The, all the boulders right, were home would be to uh, snake snakes. Pit. That's why they didn't do it. Oh, that makes sense. Lord, that would suck if you had a fight and then you had snakes. Snakes? Indiana cool. Jones style. I hate snakes. <laughs> but going back, uh, yeah. the Confederate artillery was ordered to open fire at 3 p.m. Right. And then after failing to attend a meeting at this time of Meade's corps commanders, Meade rode to Sickles' position and demanded an explanation of the situation. Nothing like your boss coming... Why are you here? Nothing <laughs> like your boss coming to your desk. What the fuck's wrong with you? Did you do this? <laughs> uh, knowing a Confederate attack was imminent and a retreat would be endangered, Meade refused Sick- Sickles' offer to withdraw, leaving him in this new position. Yeah, like I, we, we, we're about to start. Like, like, we can't do anything. You just, you're here now. Here it is. 
Thanks for fucking it all up. <laughs> Dick. Yeah, I mean, it's... Because uh, you need time to... Yeah, you don't want to delay your attack at this point. So right. It's, it's, that's all it would do, right? If you had to move them, you would have to delay your... Your, your counter-strike. Yeah. Because well, no, Mead... Well, he, it was supposed to be Wade, but anyway, but yeah, it, it's... No, 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 you've got it mixed up. Did I, did yeah. I say Mead? Mead's right. Yeah. But the waves, the attack is coming from the Confederates. Right. Mead yeah. and Sickles are Union. Yeah, never mind. So they, he compromised the position is what happened, but... Right, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't. Because then there's a hole there. In the exactly, if you withdraw, up. like, you can't fucking do that. There are so many damn names in this... In this, in this I battle, know, don't battle. worry, I've Wolf. got you. Wolf, thank you, build my anchor. So Meade was sent, was forced to send twenty thousand reinforcements. Uh, the entire, which com, which uh, was com, uh, comprised of the entire fifth corps, uh, Brigadier General John uh, C. Caldwell's division of the second corps, and most of the twelfth uh, corps as well as portions of the newly arrived eleventh uh, corps. I'm Six. sorry, sixth corps. Excuse me. Oh, buddy, you're having a day. Yeah, it's numbers are hard. They're all Roman numerals too. Yeah, shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that. So Hood's division, Hood being. Confederate. Confederate, right, yep. His division moved more to the east than intended, and it was losing its alignment with the Emmitsburg Road, so it was drifting off. Right. And the division attacked Devil's Den, Den and Little Round Top. McClaw's division, coming in on Hood's left, drove multiple attacks into the thinly stretched Third Corps in the wheat field and overwhelmed them in Sherfy's Peach Orchard. Like I said, they just... It's, right. I think one of the nicknames of the wheat field is the Bloody Wheat Field because it was just so fucking brutal. Right. Yeah, so McClaw's uh, attack eventually reached Plum Run Valley, which is also known as the Valley of Death, uh, before it was beaten back by the Pennsylvania Reserves Division of the Fifth Corps, uh, which moved them down from Little Round Top, or it was, right. it was coming down from Little Round Top. Right. Yeah, they came down. Right. The Ooh, again, the, the 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 positives of having the high ground. Yeah, yeah, you can actually do that. Yeah. The Third Corps was virtually destroyed, however, um, and it was. Uh, there was this, you know, I mentioned earlier Sickle. His leg was yeah. amputated after it was shattered by a cannonball. So as a combat unit, it was basically, it was basically, basically gone, done. Which is, you know, rough. Not surprising when you advance too far yeah, ahead. That'll, and that'll happen. Don't give yourself lines of support. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's just that's yeah. Yeah. Nice. Caldwell's division was destroyed piecemeal in the wheat field. Like the, we were saying, it's just brutal, bloody fighting. They're tearing them apart as they're moving through. Bloody Wheatfield. So, Anderson's division, uh, Confederates, mm -hmm. coming from McClaw's left, uh, uh, they they were cut, coming from McClaw's left and started forward around 6 p.m. and reached the crest of Cemetery Ridge. They could not, however, hold the position in the face of counterattacks from the Second Corps. Okay. These counterattacks included an almost suicidal bayonet charge by the 1st Minnesota Regiment against the Confederate Brigade. Woo! Uh, the charge was ordered in desperation by Hancock to buy time for reinforcements to arrive. Yeah, Fucking detached them and just, went. There's just pawn, just just pawns in this terrible, terrible war. Yeah, but yeah. So while fighting raged in the wheat field and also at Devil's Den, uh, Colonel uh, Colonel Strong Vincent of the Fifth Corps was just barely holding on at Little Round Top. Yep. So Little Round Top was an important hill at the extreme left of the Union line. Uh, if that fell, then they would have been very vulnerable and, and, right. and been able to, to get rounded at that point. Pardon the pun. <laughs> uh, Vincent's brigade of four relatively small regiments was able to resist uh, repeated assaults by Brigadier General Evander M. Law's brigade of Hood's division. Again, they were the Confederates. Mm -hmm. 
uh, Mead's Chief. So funny enough, this this story I, I thought was really interesting. They arrived at Little Round Top just before the oh yeah the the, the, the they attack just got there. Uh, so Mead's uh, Chief Engineer, a brigadier general. Have you climbed Little Round Top? Um, I don't know if we did. We drove up. I would not want to climb that no, fucking we, thing. No, we did. We did the the bus went up there. We okay. Just, yeah, wouldn't. No. It's um. It's steep and rocky. Yeah. The um. So General uh, Governor Cabe Warren, uh, who's Meade's chief engineer, he realized it was important, and he he recommended me dispatch mm-hmm. uh, the brigade, uh, which was an artillery battery, uh, which along with an artillery battery and the 140th New York. Um, just minutes, be- they arrived just minutes before the the attack happened, before Hood's troops started the attack. So Strong Vincent died in the first attack by Confederate troops. Hmm. Okay. He, I've stood at with the spot where he died. There's a marker there. Right. Um, he was a professor. Was he? And so was the next guy we're going to talk about, Colonel Joshua L. Chamberlain. He was right. a full. They were both full birds by this point, but Vincent had the command. But. Little Round Top was defended with a bayonet charge as well by the 20th Maine. It's probably the most famous bayonet charge in history. Right. Maybe. Right, right, yeah. Uh, but Chamberlain ordered it, and it was possibly led by Lieutenant Holman S. Melker. But, like you have here in the notes, this, like, he got his name off of this, Chamberlain. Right. Because uh, they, they were, they call it the swinging gate. He took uh, the New York boys and the Maine boys and they... I think there were some Pennsylvania boys up there too, and they swung down on the Confederates as they were coming up, and they were just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah, because because when you when you do it like in a staggered swing, it creates better leverage for right. um, for the whole while they're attacking. Right again with the high ground but, and the momentum you're yeah. coming down. But Cause Chamberlain it, cause was, it creates. It, I'm sorry, because it creates because he kind of creates a flank while you're doing it. Yeah, he becomes a brigadier general off of this. Chamberlain? Yeah, and he was a professor as well at Bowden College and actually became the president of it. Isn't Bowden in, Maine. in Maine, right? Yeah, ha-ha! Yep. I, and he be, I was going to say Vermont, but I named as my second choice. He was also the governor of Maine. Was he? Yep. Well, uh, before this or after this? After. Thank, after yeah, yeah, so I guess I guess he can thank this. You know how George. Mary Todd was um, unhinged? Yeah. So was his wife. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh. Oof. Like worse. Hmm. So that kind of concludes the left flank of everything. Yeah, it concludes. It concludes uh, I mean, you know, but and, this is all happening simultaneously anyway. But right. But this is, and that's probably one of the more famous aspects of the battle. Was well, it's all fucking famous. But people, te- do you mean in terms of all days or just the second day? The second day. Yeah. But as far as the second day, like that's the big defining moment is the twentieth Maine's bayonet charge. Right. Because in context, if they lose that hill then they're able to they, they're the, the lines they're, they're, yeah, they're their lines they're, are destroyed yeah all because dan sickles pushed a little too far yeah it was it was a near thing yeah yeah well like i mentioned earlier there's or i think we said this off before we started recording but yeah a lot of little decisions that could have swung the battle either way yeah and i mean if those guys from minnesota don't charge yeah. under hancock's order you know if hancock's maybe, says, maybe they wouldn't be able to hold on yeah reinforcements wouldn't have gotten in there on time and you know, if they lose Gettysburg, then they march to Philly, it's, and I can't imagine them them wanting the Union wanting to, uh, are the the citizens of of the Union? Yeah, it might have said we don't want. They, they wouldn't sauce. be supporting this anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, no more sauce, right? I, I love that term. I don't know why I keep <laughs> saying that. So on the so moving to the right flank, on the the battle on that side. There. Yeah. Um. So Ewell, who's a Confederate. Yes. He interpreted his orders uh, from from Lee as calling only for a cannonade, which is 
artillery. Yes. Okay. Yeah, cannonade is when you're just... They still do it. Um, now it's usually from ships. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's when you're just blasting a repeated staggered fire right. from artillery. Right, yeah. He used 32 guns along with AP Hill's 55 guns and engaged in a two-hour-long barrage at extreme range that didn't really have much of an effect. Too far away. Yeah. Uh, at 6 o'clock... Is this AM or PM? PM, sorry. PM. At 6 o'clock PM, uh, Ewell sent orders to each of his divisions, um, to each of the commanders, to attack the Union lines at, at his uh, to his front. So if he was closer, you could have done more damage, I think? Pretty much. Yeah. I think he was worried about return fire from Union artillery. He's a pussy. He's a pussy. Mm. It's like all the Confederates. Yeah. Fuck them. They fought bravely, but they died. Fuck them. Um, (laughs) Major General Edward Allegheny Johnson's Confederate division had not been moved close to Culp's Hill to prepare for an assault. So Yule just didn't, like, they never got close enough for any of this shit. Mm. So they now had a full mile to advance and also had to cross Rock Creek, which is not easily navigable. It's rocky. Yeah. Well, even if they do it at a a quick march, it's still still 20 minutes away. Yeah, it's a mile. Yeah. And you're under fire. Yeah, you're Probably. fire, and you and you have the terrain yeah. that you don't know very well, and isn't isn't to your advantage. Yeah, yeah that's fucking stupid. It was real dumb. <laughs> so this caused delays, and only three of Johnson's brigades assaulted the Union position. And most of the Hill's defenders were the Union 12th Corps, or excuse me, most of the Hill's defenders, the Union 12th Corps, had been sent to the left to defend against Longstreet's attacks, like right. we've t- been talking about just a couple minutes ago. Uh, this meant that there was only a brigade of New Yorkers under Brigadier General George S. Green defending the hill, this being Culp's Hill. Mm. Uh, and they were placed behind strong, newly constructed dis- defensive works, which helped their defense. So they're just sitting back behind these, uh, I guess, like, like, like wooden earth, lattice earthen stuff works. Earth, yeah. yeah, and the wooden lattice works. And there's a name for them, and I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going, uh, it's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, so there, in, in uh, Yorktown, they had a, a hill that was the... the a man-made hill casements but that's not really what i want there's because one of the things they would do and it started around this time was they would get loose rubble and put it in like wood basically like they get wood and put this loose rubble in it and it would it was enough to stop the impact of bullets you looking it up yeah is it a bastion no no a breach? No, that's not it. A bulwark? Gap. That's, a knob. that's an opposite. Yeah, you know, well... It's fine. That's something that we've failed you, the listener. So, yeah. anyway. <laughs> what else is new? Uh, the 1st and 9th Corps sent reinforcements to Green, and they were actually able to hold off the Confederate attack despite losing some of the lower earthworks on the lower part of Culp's Hill. Right. So, so they just, just made it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Early was also unprepared... Uh, when he ordered Harry T. Hayes and Isaac E. Avery's brigades to attack the Union, the Union's 11th, um, to the Union's 11th Corps position on East Cemetery Hill. So when the armies engaged each other uh, there, the fighting was pretty fierce, um, which the Union's 2nd Brigade and the 1st Division's under Colonel, uh, Colonel Andrew L. Harris, they lost basically half their men. Yeah, that's a uh, fuckload. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very bloody part of the war there. Uh, Avery was wounded early on in the battle, but his Confederate troops reached the crest of the hill, and they entered the Union's breastworks, and they actually captured some of the batteries. Hayes withdrew as he did not have any support to his right, 
uh, he was supposed to be supported by Robert E. Rhodes' division, but Rhodes was, was not ordered, uh, he, he wasn't ordered up in preparation of the attack, and Rhodes had actually twice, uh, he, had, he had twice as far to travel as early, and uh, by the time he actually got there it, and come to contact with the Union, the skirmish line, early troop basically, they already had, they already started the withdrawal. So yeah, he, just, he got late to the late. party. Yeah. Going back to talking about Jeff Stewart, he arrived around noon uh, with three cavalry brigades, but he had no role in the second day of battle because the scouting had already been done right. that morning. And you got, you're basically trying to fight uphill when you're horse yeah. and be able to do much there. Can't do that. So they, Brigadier General Wade Hampton's brigade fought a minor engagement with the newly promoted Wade Hampton being a Confederate. Right. With a newly promoted 23-year-old Brigadier General George Armstrong Custer's Michigan Cavalry near Hunterstown to the northeast of Gettysburg. So you remember how I was talking about how Custer cut his teeth at Gettysburg? Yep, this is it. There it is, 23 years old. Wow. Yeah, he... Uh, Commanding. He would not meet a good a good, uh, good end. Not a good end. Life, but, well, yeah. one he earned. Yeah. So like, like you mentioned, the heavier part of, of the day two was on it's, the, it's on the, the left, left flank. I there. mean, the right flank is bloody, yeah. but there's so much miscommunication and non, non-decision making, really. Right. Hey, we, mentioned, we mentioned this last episode, but... Uh, that was the the Confederates kind of big fault because they they had the Union marching backwards and yeah. then they caught them at, at Gettysburg and couldn't finish the deal. Yeah, well and, they let them entrench themselves and they're not going to move off those fucking hills. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you? It's the best damn ground they ever saw. But they keep that's what they kept saying in Gettysburg. The Union keep going best damn gr- ground I ever saw. And the Confederates are worst ground I ever saw. <laughs> Oh man, a lot of people died. A lot of, a lot people, of people died. died. Uh, hold on one second. I'm gonna look up how many people died on the second day. So I have here that on day two, that 6,500 people died on day two, and from the Confederate side, and the Union had 8,700. That sounds right. Does that sound right? Yeah. yeah. 8,700 on day two, and that's because. All together, it's... Yeah. So the Union had significantly more people died than the Confederates did. Yeah. 2000. Well, I think part of that is Sickles. Yeah. Sickles' men being left out there. Yeah. Fucking hung them out to dry. Which, I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that, like, the attackers would have more people die than the defenders, typically? Typically. Yeah. But that's, uh, yeah, that's but... a, a lot. Do you have um, do we have anything else to add on the day two of the battle? Uh, no, just legends were made that day, I guess. Yeah, yeah, really. And uh, um, now we'll see how professors fight. That's what Strong Vincent said to Chamberlain. Actually, it's really funny. Did he really say that? Yeah, it's a pretty great line. Yeah, it's a pretty good line. There's a there's a memorial at the top of not the top, but on. Little Round Top that is like an Irish memorial for those who have, you know, Irish descent and died for the Union. Uh, Patty O'Rourke, he rubbed his nose for good luck. You can tell the the, the color, the discoloration from all the human oil is kind of neat to see. I don't know. Yeah. Something to add. Yeah, something about the second day. No, no, it's <laughs> human oil. That's a nice way to put it. Oh, they're, they're essential. Yeah. Essential oils. human oils. Oh, God. I use yeah. them in my cooking. Do you have a? a t- do you really essential oils in your cooking? 
What do you like? Essential what? human oils. Oh, some blood, sweat, and no, a little bit of combat. Ew. A little bit. A little Ew. Bit. Yeah. Didn't think that would happen. Didn't think I'd say that word in this episode. Nope. Didn't. Did not think uh, that. Do you have a town name for me, Bill? Uh, yeah. Was Was it second day when Jenny Wade died? Is that the civilian? Yeah. Um, I thought it was. I thought it was the third day, but might be third day. She was standing in the window. How much is that Jenny Wade in the window? When you look, when you look up Jenny Wade, the first thing that comes up is the American, American actress. actress. God damn it! From uh, the CW series The Reaper. And uh, yeah, she's oh, that's incredibly spelled it incredibly irrelevant. Oh, you're right. Third day. Third day. Gotcha. Mary Virginia Wade, also known as Jenny Wade, was a resident of Gettysburg. Pennsylvania during the Battle of Gettysburg. At the age of 20, she was the only direct civilian casualty of the battle when she was killed by a stray bullet on July 3rd. Yeah, it's a Ginny G... G-I-N-N-I-E. Yeah. Give me that town name, Bill. Give me that... Give me Pillow. That good Pillow. Ooh. You like that one? Pillow talk. P-A, I like it. I like it. Where is that in Pennsylvania? It's near Harrisburg. It's in the metropolitan area. Okay. The county is Dauphin. As of 2010, the... 2010 census the population was 298 oh uh, it's teeny tiny there's more people than like an apartment complex to down yes. the road yeah that's uh, something else it was founded in 1818 by john snyder a land developer from mercer county and he first named it snyder town actually schneider stettel mm. he's german nice why uh, is it named pillow it was incorporated as union town on april 20th 1864 mm. Uh, when the town got its first post office in, in 1847, a post office under the name of Uniontown already existed. A postal official substituted the name Pillow after General Gideon Pillow, who was popular at the time for his victories in the Mexican-American War. Over the next hundred years, the new name slowly took hold, and on November 2nd, 1965, the residents voted to change the official name of the town to Pillow. There's a lot of uh, Mexican-American uh, vets from uh, in, in, in Gettysburg, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of them, yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of them. So he died, Gideon Johnson Pillow. I'm just curious as to where he's from. American lawyer, politician, speculator, slave owner, United States Major, Army Major General of Volunteers during the Mexican-American War and Confederate Brigadier General in the American Civil War. Died in 78 at the age of 72. He's from Tennessee. Mm. Mexican-American War was, was uh, 1846 to 1848. I thought it was earlier yeah. than that. I thought it was in the 30s. Yeah. But yeah, so that definitely is... Definitely is a prime breeding ground for uh, for Civil War generals. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Also, fuck you, Pillow. Pillow? Na- no, they're, na- they're named after Confederate general. Yeah. They didn't know he was going to be part of the Confederate. Oh, you know, it, they did, though. No, they, they, they voted they, they in the after 1960s. Wow. That is stupid. I'm sure most people don't even know what it's named for. Yeah. But now I'm, now I'm heated. Yeah, tear down that name, Gorbachev. Tear down that name. <laughs> I'm tired, man. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Me too. That's uh, that's, you know, pillow, pa has a lot of potential. Pillow talk, pa. Yeah, yeah. Bite the pillow, pa. Oh boy. Um, pillow top, pillow topper. Hmm? Nice comfy pillow top. Hmm. No, mattress. I've never that heard was, that. That before. was more of a wholesome. No, like a pillow top mattress. Oh. A, Soft, super soft. Yeah, okay. I thought you meant like like a not, mushroom, not like a, a second, like a no, no, muffin top. No, no. Oh, um, muffin top. PA, I'd visit that town. Yeah, it sounds delicious. I fit right in. Yeah, me too. Do you uh, do you have anything else to add, my Bill? I'm gonna play this guitar. Yeah, you're gonna punch me. 
You haven't, well, you haven't punched me in this episode. No, I'm trying to resist my violent urges. There will be enough next week when Thomas is in town. <laughs> oh, yeah. When we do a weird episode. Yeah, we're, we're going to break it up and not do as crazy, not, not do as uh, solemn uh, of a game. Unless my wife gives birth, then maybe not. But we'll, well, we'll see. I'm going to just swing by and take the stuff <laughs> if that needs to, needs to happen. Uh, but, well, all right, well, thank you guys for listening for uh, day uh, two of Gettysburg. We'll, 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 fin- we'll finish off uh, Gettysburg day three. We'll finish you off. We'll, uh, we'll finish you off, but we'll, um, we'll give you guys a break on this one. But. Yeah, we're going to give you a little, some fun, funny, fun things <laughs> on uh, next week's episode. Yeah. All right, well, excuse me. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been Onslaught. This has been Bill. And we've been the Uncommon Podcast. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye.